Welcome to Bunny Hugs and Mental Health, the podcast that deals with all things mental health. We talk to professionals, survivors, and loved ones about their sometimes informative, sometimes uplifting, and sometimes tragic stories. I'm your host of the show, Todd Rennebaum, advocate, recovering addict, experienced sufferer of depression and anxiety, and author of the children's book, Sometimes Daddy Cries. Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I am your host, Todd Rennebaum. What another wonderful episode I have for you this week with my friend Angela. But before I talk about that, I'd like to discuss a little bit about next week's episode with my guest, Donna. Donna is the mother of a young lady named Gia, and Gia took her life a few years back, I think it was 2013. Uh, Gia was on a few television shows, mainly The Bachelor, and she was also on a couple of the spin-off shows that The Bachelor has. So Donna and I talk about Gia, talk about some of the causes and some of the mental health issues Gia had growing up and some of the mental health issues that Donna had as well. Uh, mainly, we talk about PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which affects many women, many undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. So stay tuned for that one. If you want to leave any questions or comments or concerns about any of the episodes, you can leave a message on my Instagram, which is Bunny Hugs Podcast. Uh, you can also go on to my Facebook, which is Bunny Hugs and Mental Health Podcast. You can go on Twitter, which is Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. And you can go on TikTok, which is Bunny Hugs Podcast. You can also go on to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, which is a nice comment, a nice way to do that. Uh, that's always very helpful for podcasters. And while you're there, you could also rate the podcast. Now, this week, I'm speaking with Angela. And Angela and I talk about BFRB Awareness Week, which is October 1st to 7th. And BFRB is body-focused repetitive behaviors. Things like hair pulling, skin picking, nose picking, thumb sucking, uh, so on. Donna is a huge advocate of BFRBs. She was even on the television show, The Doctors, and that's actually where she really started to find professionals that were uh, uh, able to help her recover. You can find her on Instagram at Angela Hartland and at Skin Picking Support. So follow those accounts if, if you can relate or if you have a loved one that you think can relate and maybe you'll learn something and, and get some good information following those accounts. Well, now, without further ado, I give you Angela. Well, I didn't even know that it was anxiety when I was little. It's just kind of just a natural state of mind. I was just always very observant, very on my toes, very intelligent, always got like perfect grades. And I just noticed that I was a little more sensitive than a lot of other people. And I didn't really connect with people socially. I'd have maybe like one or two good friends, like every year of school. Um, I did get bullied for my appearance because my picking kind of started when I think back, it's like grade one ish, because there was a, a bit of a I remember my my mom, she, of course, nobody knows that this is a disorder or anything like that, but she wanted us to just use this cream on our face to avoid ever getting acne. But I was in grade one at that point. And but I it kind of 
instilled a bit of an importance of having clear skin. And I mean, she would pick our, my, mine and my sister's pimples once in a while on our back and our face. So it was kind of like a behavior that, oh, this is normal. But actually, I mean, the reality of body focused repetitive behaviors is that it is normal to take out, you know, to pop a pimple here and there, maybe pull out a stray hair or something out of place. But when it becomes chronic and repetitive and compulsive, it it really becomes a beast of its own. Um, so I kind of always felt like just weird and ugly growing up and it my picking kind of extended by the time I was in grade five to not just my face but it was my upper chest and shoulders and back and I wore in my grade five and six pictures I even wore a, this ugly old turtleneck from the 90s and it it was just because of how much I was hiding and I even had wispy bangs at that point to try to hide a little bit of my forehead but in between those two pictures, um, something really life-changing happened to me. My father, who I had an amazing relationship with, um, had a blood clot to the brain. He survived, but it he needed a piece of his brain removed. And he didn't really recover. He, he recovered better than they thought he was going to but he has limitations in his speech and some cognitive abilities. The right side of his body is, the right arm is paralyzed. His right leg is, he's able to move it a bit with a brace just to walk, and, but he never really fully recovered. So everything, the dynamic in my family had shifted at that time from my mom becoming a caregiver to a preteen and a teen. And all of a sudden a husband in the hospital and having to deal with that and the coma and ICU and a lot of traumatic things like that. So my picking did kind of get worse, but I didn't really notice it getting worse until grade eight, surprisingly. Like I didn't notice a huge shift when that happened at the time. I was still picking and still covering and hiding, but it kind of traveled, I guess, in some sense traveled. In grade seven, I remember sitting in gym class and I, I wasn't interested in gym class. I didn't care. <laughs> and it was like they were talking about it was it was some kind of like ba basketball or soccer. We were sitting in front of the chalkboard and I looked down at my legs, which were completely smooth. And I saw this bump on my leg. Like I still remember it, too. And as I was sitting there in the gym, I looked at it and I picked it. And there was this long hair that came out and it was squiggly. And the relief I got from that, like, wow, I got something out of my body that shouldn't be there, or, you know, wasn't perfect or could have gotten bigger and, and all these different things that now when I'm talking, now that I've been in recovery and gone through therapy, proper therapy, I, I'm just like, I know these are cognitive distortions. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to kind of relay them back because I want to fix them as I'm saying them. <laughs> so by then, and it really kind of like, triggered something for me to start picking at my legs like and of course that was about the time where I just started shaving well a couple of years before so there's like ingrown hairs and and then I became completely fixated on it and uh, the long story short I tried to get help over the years from I started covering my legs from the age of 13 or 14 indefinitely until I got help when I was 28 after I was 
um, contacted by the television show, The Doctors in America, to appear on it in 2015. And they invited an expert on named Karen Pickett. And we wait, went wait, through wait. 12 weeks of therapy. Her last name is Pickett? Yeah, she she understands the irony. <laughs> okay, <Yeah. laughs> okay. And especially, it's, it's even, you know, it's just, yeah, I, I've had that a few times. It just makes it not sound so real. P-I-C-K-E-T-T. Okay. <laughs> but she is like one of the experts in the field. So it's, I was really lucky. And I mean, my my excoriation disorder, which is compulsive skin picking, isn't perfect now, but it is so much better than it was at its absolute worst in my early 20s which is like five six years no about eight no eight years before I got help was when I was at my absolute worst like 20 I was I remember there was one night in particular I stayed up from 11 p.m to 7 a.m when I gave my diabetic cat his needle in the morning and I was just picking from face to to like my ankles just and then of course things would resettle and I would start again up at my face checking everything else popping more things pulling things out scratching at things and I I at that point like I had dropped out of university um I certainly wasn't dating because at this point Anything before 2010 pretty much didn't exist. There was the Trichotillomania Learning Center, which is now TLC Foundation for BFRBs, and they changed their name to focus on all body-focused repetitive behaviors instead of just trichotillomania, which was the kind of core focus before. Um, So there was really no resources before 2010, but it was December of 2009 that I released my memoir, um, forever marked a dermatillomania diary because I just finally came out and I, I, I came out because I felt like I really had no choice anymore because I was just hiding so much. I had quit university. I didn't date. I couldn't work. Uh, I mean, it would interfere picking and hiding its aftermath would interfere with with me wanting to go anywhere and wanting to be seen and having strangers make comments and and it was just overwhelming. Like I, when I worked in the service industry, I had people come up to me and make like unsolicited advice about my face. And you, you would be pretty if type comments. And, you know, it really would, when I tried to hide it at the time too, it just, it, it really broke me. So I'm trying to, you know, when you're a teenager, you're just trying to fit in, you're trying to just be accepted and move forward with life. And, unfortunately those things really held me back and it did bring me to a dark place when I was 18 and in my first year of university I I was working a lot of hours at a call center and a lot of things that happened and I did try to end my life um, and I wasn't really hospitalized for a long time I had like some very brief hospital stints um, no one ever took my skin picking like serious, but they also didn't know what to do as they still don't know what to do. To my knowledge, there's only five providers uh, that are trained to deal specifically with BFRBs in Canada, and none of them are east of Ontario. I mean, I hope the list is updated. I haven't looked at it in the last, like since the pandemic, I'd say maybe the last time I looked at it, but there were still only five at that time. 
and I think it was like a couple couple in Alberta and a couple in Ontario. And you're on the East Coast? Nova Scotia. So there's nothing near you, closest one near you was Ontario. Yeah. So, I mean, I never really had, but I mean, of course, everyone, all the mental health professionals say, yes, we can help you. We can, you know, but there's a lot of things that they don't understand about the, the condition, like, especially a lot of the, I I think the mindfulness component and sensory issues related to skin picking that is often overlooked in like, there's a model by Charles S. Mansueto Dr. Charles Mansueto called um, the SCAMP model, and it's from the the B model, but it's, um, or sorry, it's the B model, but it's, it, there's a, an acronym called SCAMP, and it's all the different things, I don't know them right now, sensory, cognitive, maybe effective, mind, maybe M is mindfulness, and P, I, I really don't know right now, um, but he has devised like a a training program where professionals can get their accredited training, people who are already therapists. And for years, I've been wanting to try to make a difference in getting professionals interested in getting this training, because there's so many people in the world that are suffering with these shameful and embarrassing disorders, and they're extremely isolating. And the amount of discrimination that a person can go through living with this is extreme, especially now I see in the forums, people talking about being accused of having monkey pox, people being turned away from events because they look like they have monkey pox. And it's, it's just really sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is BFRB? What does that stand for? Uh, BFRB stands for body focused repetitive behaviors. Oh, okay. And that's an umbrella term for, for a bunch of behaviors that causes damage to oneself through repetitive behaviors. So whether it's picking, pulling, there's a whole bunch of things. There's a lot of oral BFRBs as well, like, like tongue biting, cheek biting, lip sucking, even like common things. A lot of us know someone with BFRBs. A lot of us know someone who bites their nails and can't stop, but that's the most socially acceptable of them all, or at least the most knowledgeable that, that everyone seems to know about, but people don't know about trichotillomania. People don't know about excoriation disorder, which is um, skin picking, which is what I have. Um, and, and the barriers of access, especially from mental health professionals. Like I've had, I've had really bad experiences of being told that I just needed to grow up. That was when I was a teenager. I was, yeah, I was told that I, I just needed to grow up, you know, that the well, the woman, she was a mental health nurse and she said she had seen many patients do the same thing and they just decide to stop. Oh. So I, apparently I just didn't know how to stop at that point. <laughs> just didn't want to stop. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if I wanted to bring attention to myself, but if so, then yeah, that's a great way of doing it. It's just, you know, there's different ways of bringing attention to yourself than picking at your face. But unfortunately, I've also faced discrimination because in the last 10 years, I've had chronic pain. The first six years, I nearly six years, I had piriformis syndrome. I had to go and get a piece of my butt removed in Las Vegas. Hmm. And then, yeah, that's a whole other story on its own. And um, because there was no help available in Nova Scotia, no help available in Canada, no orthopedic surgeon who could do the surgery or even really understood about piriformis syndrome. And it was actually caused because I had 
fallen on a set of stairs and a different angle and it lodged my piriformis muscle into my sciatic nerve. The videos online and everything, it's pretty group. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a, there's a page on my, skin, there's a page on my skin picking support um, website, which is skinpickingsupport.com. There is a little tab of my disability advocacy. Yeah, and there's a video of it, of the, the surgery itself. I had to wait so many years to get, um, to get a diagnosis. I had to wait my first, the first year I had a doctor pretty much do nothing. And then I had to wait two more years because that's how long the referrals took to get to an orthopedic surgeon and pain clinic. Um, and then they couldn't find out what was wrong. And then of course you wait like six months for MRIs and MRIs don't show that type of soft tissue damage. So people didn't believe me. They saw my mental health file. And it's like, oh, this chick can't this chick can't stop picking at her skin. Look at her legs. Yeah, and then she has pain. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Psycho. Yeah. And it's it it was really I I went to another dark place and I'm so lucky that I have my husband through it all. I mean So you did start dating at one point. Yeah, we were, we dated, we started dating two years before, before all of this happened with my physical health. So, and now I'm kind of like, I finally had my last surgery um, in last, yes, November. And I, I had to go through shockwave therapy for my hip. And finally, I'm at a point where I have very little pain, but all the discrimination, all the mistreatment for the way I look. Even even though now my scars are healed, I still get people looking at me like professionals, like I'm disgusting. Um, an ER doctor thought I had gonorrhea when I and I'm like, no, I'm married. And then apparently he did the test anyway, and then they lost it. So so the discrimination is high, and I can see it being even higher in communities like like people of color and people of the LGBTQ probably face it even higher than I do. I mean, and you think of aspects like criminalization, what do people think of when they see people with marks on their face? They think that they're doing heroin, meth, mm -hmm. um, opiates. And, and that was another thing too, because of the way I looked, getting pain medication when I was in severe pain, there were it was times where it was like impossible. And so just the way it, the, everything, just with my chronic pain journey, it would have happened anyway, because I was a young female having these severe issues but on top with the mental health issues on top of it it was just like no one was going to help me mm -hmm. and even like the most well-intentioned professionals that i've had have even implied that pains have been in my head even when the pains have been on the scans like with, when it comes to my hip it's it's really difficult always being dismissed because of the way i look or just because of my age or even gender so there's so many factors that it, of just obtaining not just mental health help, but just normal health that I didn't expect. Cause I knew mental health is a very different type of science than physical health. So I, I didn't think I was going to go through almost 10 years of, of misery from, from all that and have to experience that level of discrimination. Hmm. So, so what was it about the skin picking that gave you comfort? I'm assuming it gave you comfort? Like it was just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, my skin picking even increased during that time. 
um, like when my when I first had the fall. But overall, what skin picking does is it's a gratifying, a relief type feeling once you engage in the behavior and you achieve whatever goal it is. So if it's like trying to smooth out a part of your skin or or if it's like just pulling a, an odd hair out that has that's kind of an ingrown hair, um, those are it, it feels really it's like an instant relief like there's it's there's really nothing comparative to it like I mean I used to smoke cigarettes but it was a different different type of thing um it's like picking your nose you got a booger that's bugging you and you finally get it out no not quite there is a body focused repetitive behavior called and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly rhinotiloxomania and that's compulsive nose picking and where people what what something triggers them where they have to continuously pick at it. And I think what I kind of learned through my therapy is it's almost like for some reason people with BFRBs are perceiving whatever they're picking at as a threat to themselves because anxiety way back in the caveman days was necessary for us to survive. And now that we have all these different things like that that are supposed to protect us, like locks on our doors and and things like that, and even having like community members um, to to protect us, it anxiety has turned more inward, so that we don't have to actually physically exert ourselves in the way that we had to way back in those days. And that's that's like a huge issue when it comes to anxiety. So it, it kind of clicked for me, like in therapy, like, yeah, when I see something, I immediately, I want to attack it, I want to remove it, even if it means causing a greater mark in response, it's at least it'll be a smooth one, and then it'll scab over. And it's like, you don't even care about the consequences at, at that time. It, it doesn't matter how much you try on that logical level, you just want it gone, because it really is that biologically rooted. Like you can literally, I've done this lots of times where I've looked in the mirror and I'm like, I'm not going to pick two seconds later, right up there. <laughs> like it literally can happen just that quickly too. And I think what, how, why it's really hard to, to go into recovery from these disorders or like get rid of them is because the reaction time from, from us having the trigger to us reacting is boom. So it's, it's like automatic, whereas if you compare it to an addiction, which again, it's hard to compare, um, you like say something like alcohol, then you can, you can at least make the decision as you're walking to the kitchen or as you have to drive to the store to pick it up. So the enforcement still has a lot of, you know, procrastination, a lot of come on, let's do, whereas we can just quell it in a second. It's like I can could feel like something on my face and then boom, get rid of it done. So to be able to dissect that is really hard and requires a lot of mindfulness because I mean, there's, there are different subsets of picking and I kind of do both, but one of them is kind of like the deliberate, I want to call it because I can't think of the word right off um, where I look in the mirror, where I would like look in the mirror and pick at myself. And then there's the ones like, for example, some people, I know a lot of people once in a while I get it like where you start kind of picking a bit at your fingers like 
I can't have long nails because I'm very sensitive to the, just the sensory component of long nails. And I'm always going like this and then I'll start going like this. So I can't have long nails. It's funny. I, as you're talking, I could, I'm picking up on things that I do that are maybe, maybe considered a, a, a BFRB, but, but for me, it's more of a sensory thing. It's not, uh, um, like an invasive thing. Like I have to get rid of it. It's more like a, like I do this weird clenchy thing. So I, I push the skin under my nails back. It feels nice, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff like that, or even playing with my mustache or whatever. Like, um, and I will like, sometimes I shave my head and I'll pick at the skin on my head. But again, it's like a sensory thing. Um, yeah, that's about that, it. That one I would be very worried about in case if you if you were to do that and then like say something traumatic happened in your life, it could be a way to, as long as you you know and you're aware of when you're doing it, I think, because I, I think there's ways that things can devolve into disorders. Like I've known a few people who've picked a bit and then all of a sudden they got really bad. To be honest with you, I... I have a loved one that in high school, they had big bald spots where they pulled their hair, uh, bad anxiety. And to this day, like I'll, I'll give them shit if they're like, Hey, you know, if I catch them doing it and you know, stop it, I see what you're doing. And they're like, Ooh, and then, then they, you know, sometimes they get the defensive, like, shut up. <laughs> that could unfortunately cause a lot of shame. Like it depends on what your relationship with the person is, like how close you are and what, I mean, you have an understanding that this person has tricks. So you have some sort, but even then, if you're close to have someone telling you to stop it all the time, I think for me was hugely trigger triggering. Mm. And even though I'm in recovery, when I, COVID started and everyone's like, don't touch your face, don't touch your face. And I kept hearing it like on t TV. It actually like just upset me because I remember just so many people, it's like infantilizing to tell you like, stop picking your face. It's just like, mm. feels like wagging your finger. There are definitely ways to address it if you have that relationship with the person or at least want to have the conversation with them. Like, hey, do you want me to let you know when you're doing this or... Or, you know, gentle reminders versus even jokes. Because I, I could tell you joke with a lot of things, as as do I, like, especially with my husband. <laughs> um, but I think it's really important when it, when it comes to mental health that everyone has their own boundaries. Maybe you've already hashed out your boundaries with this person and or their boundaries. And, but, you know, that, that type of thing could be a little bit, bit hurtful. Because I know, because that's like the one thing we want to do, but can't. So to hear like, just stop, just stop. It's like, why you think I've been trying? And it also depends like if it's, if it's more of a habitual pulling or something versus a full on disorder and, and also how much it upsets you. Hello everyone. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. And if you're a newer listener to the podcast, I encourage you to listen to some of the older ones. Uh, for example, episode five with Megan Burstick. In that episode, I speak to Megan about her father, her brother and two sisters that all took their lives at separate occasions and separate points in time. Megan is a wonderful mother and an incredibly strong woman. But for now, back to Angela. I met someone who um, had skin picking pretty severe, but when I was speaking with her, she never. She said that she just didn't cover up because she she didn't care. No one ever bothered her about it, and I was just kind of thinking, like, wow, like how. Like, really? Because for me, that was just like, 
you know, I felt like I was fresh meat if I didn't have makeup like on my face it, just to hide everything. Mm -hmm. So I, I found that it's really so the the condition can be worse, but it's how it affects you emotionally that that's really the the problem. I mean, there's some BFRBs like skin picking that do come with um with that come with long term consequences or dangers, including scarring, um, infection. You can have. I know someone almost um, had actually the leader of the Picking Me Foundation, Lauren. She got MRSA and almost had to have her leg amputated. Um, so I mean, there's very serious consequences. I I had heard about somebody who had had picked their neck down to like their artery and they they didn't hurt it but it was damaged and i was just like wow like that's you know it it really and just to try to stop and i know i know another person who's um who developed a, another type of infection it wasn't MRSA i forget what it was but her face completely blew up and her eyes were swollen and it was it, it was really scary but what you have to go through and then of course a lot of people uh, feel embarrassment. Like when I, I think it was like 2005 when I was in my early twenties, I picked my chins really, really bad. And now my chin is actually like thicker than before, but I don't think most people can tell, but I can tell it. I've been able to kind of let it go over the years, but once in a while there's a picture. I'm just like, Ooh, it looks so round and it wasn't round years ago. And there's and actually wearing a mask or even like having my husband's stubble touch it can turn it almost scabby. Like there's something weird about the way it healed that it almost rips it open. And even wearing masks, like I don't even have to pick it and it looks like it's picked at just along like my jawline, like from here to here. So there's definitely, and then of course, you know, when you have marks like that, then things start growing in abnormally. And then you want to get rid of those abnormalities on top of the abnormalities. And it, it can become another cycle of its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I even actually have like uh, acne scarring on my head from when I was a kid, like picking at my zits and and that. Mm. And But um, I've um, not that. That's the same, you know. <laughs> I'm not comparing myself, but well, but I can. I don't know. A lot of people do start have getting their excoriation disorder. I mean, mine certainly was exacerbated by acne in like during the teenage years. But a lot of people, even if they pick at pick at it, once the acne's gone, there's nothing left to pick at. But if they're continuing to pick in the absence of a dermatological condition, then it is for sure, a mental health condition. And I was actually diagnosed with my legs in grade 12 as having lichen simplex chronicus. And I went through a whole bunch of skin treatments. Um, they were like these chemical baths and just pretty much like free tans. So, <laughs> and it, clear, it cleared my legs down really great. But then when I followed up with the dermatologist and my legs were back to what it was, he's like, it's, it's you know, it's a, probably something you should see a therapist about they diagnosed and treated you for the physical part but not the mental part yeah yeah um yeah i've said on this podcast before that i was diagnosed with a stomach ulcer when i was a kid but not why i was why i had a stomach ulcer which was or ulcer which was because of the high anxiety but um mm. is thumb sucking 
A? Yep. I mean, a common childhood BFRB that most kids end up growing out of, but, but it, yeah, it's totally. I know, hmm. adult, I know young adults that like, it's like in their teen years and young adults and they're still doing it and yep. yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's a self-soothing behavior. Oh, that's what BFRBs kind of come down to is that, that they calm the central nervous system. So there's a lot of things I learned too that generally isn't taught in like therapy about um, kind of releasing like your energy onto fidget toys and getting that sensory feedback from that. Um, gosh, there's just like so many things if I compare the therapy that I got in Nova Scotia to the therapy I got from the expert, it's, it's really something like when I first started with Karen, I thought it was going to be like, we start off like any old therapist, tell me your life story, kind of like today, <laughs> let's start <laughs> from childhood, let's go all the way up. But we didn't start with any of that at all. It was just strictly you start log. we started like logging the behaviors and noticing patterns. And then eventually we started to, to challenge the cog or the what's known as the permission giving statement behind what make what kind of green lights the urge. So what makes me finally go, aha, I'm going to pick it. And so mm -hmm. I ended up learning a lot about my cog cognitive distortions, like how I, I must pick this, but it's like, no, it's not. I must is I feel like I must. And being able to kind of separate yourself from that instead of just taking it on as your as your own right um when i was in treatment for addiction uh there was a few days where we we'd talk about the brain and what's happening when when you're drinking or using and w when you're wanting to use what's what part of your brain is doing what and i found that just incredibly helpful because it's like because when you catch yourself and then it's like oh i'm in this phase my brain's doing this and this is why Ooh. it's doing this right now so Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like it, for me, it helped me to. It's empowering. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think that's something that maybe more treatments should have for different disorders and stuff. It's like, this is biologically what's happening in your brain while, while you're going through the process and, and it's easier to recognize then. Yeah. That, I wish there was a, that amount of education though, behind all these types of things. And that's the problem, especially with BFRBs trying to get the education behind and, and any type of research established because right now there's research going on in the United States. There was a research study, I think it was on trichotillomania from Quebec at some point. I may be incorrect about that. But generally, you know, we, we don't really as Canadians focus on on mental health or really a lot of innovative health systems like such as why I had to go to the States to get a piece of my butt removed from a Canadian doctor. <laughs> hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this sometimes trauma-based or trauma-inspired? It can be. It can be. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think for me, it's kind of like the collaboration of all of it because another thing that it can be, in, uh, it can also be genetics. Um, genetics has a, a huge, I think it was, there was a statistic of one in, for people who have a BFRB, or it could have been just trichotillomania, I really should have a sheet in front of me with all these <laughs> facts instead of just trying to do it off the top of my head. So, I mean, don't quote me on any of these facts. Um, the, um, 
one in four people who had trichotillomania or a BFRB had a family member who also had a BFRB or, and I, I have a few people in my family with BFRBs in my, well, among my relatives, I'll, I'll say, um, mm-hmm. but, and then of course I had trauma of what happened to my father, the brain injury and how it changed everything in our lives. Um, that was a huge thing. And yeah, I've heard from a lot of other people that trauma can induce it. And really what was very interesting is I moderate um, the largest Facebook group about dermatillomania called Dermatillomania Awareness. I think it has like 17,000 now of people. Um, there was something like 12 or 13,000 at the beginning of the pandemic. And then I remember the second lockdown, there was a surge of people like during the U- the UK lockdown. I remember that second one, there was a surge of people wa- requesting to join Dermatillomania Awareness. And one of the questions that we ask as mod- moderators is how did you learn about this? And people were just organically looking it up. They're like, I just looked it up for my own. It wasn't an article. It wasn't anything. So at I think, and and there were people that have have made posts like, "Hey, I'm starting to compulsively pick at my skin because of all these lockdowns, and I don't know what to do." So it's there's a lot of things that can contribute to somebody developing a BFRB, especially if they're already genetically predisposed. So after 2009, when you you wrote your book. Um... Did, did you did more people kind of come forward and reach out to you and um yeah yeah like doctors too or just other people that I, I had a couple of therapists yeah reach out to me i have i have a therapist that a few therapists that have followed me for years in the united states of course i i just i don't know there's a bit of a complacency i think in canadian healthcare that that's different than america not to say that America's is the best, but I mean, there's pros and cons of each. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of people reached out and it was overwhelming because I didn't expect it. Like at the time I released my book, like there, again, there was only like that one nonprofit. It was still Trichotillomania Learning Center. I, I, no one had in the world had come out with this. So it was just kind of, I didn't know how many people had it and what type of feedback I would receive and I got so many messages that it it really did become overwhelming I was like what did I actually sign up for here like <laughs> I want to do this but oh my gosh like people are just pouring their hearts out to me and I don't it's hard to have that time and like the energy really to to get like when people just like write their whole life story back to you because they've read your life story <laughs> it, it's really it's, it's biggest gift though of being an advocate is that I've had a lot of people trust me with very personal things um, from abuse to other mental health disorders and and I, I really don't take that for granted because it's a lot of times people are saying things that they also haven't said for the first time or to really to anybody else and just to eliminate that type of shame and to open up a conversation whatever the issue is with that person, I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of and to be entrusted with that. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been in that same role a little bit, and but sometimes it's also a little overwhelming and you need to set boundaries and stuff too because it's like, oh God, you're ta- you're, you want to try to save the world and, you know, take it on other people's 
traumas and pains. But, but yeah, it is very humbling. Actually, it's and it's it's nice, but it depends what depends what state I'm in. <laughs> you know yeah. how how it feels, but yeah. There's really something about that honest, raw human connection when people are able to to really confide in you about that. And yeah, it's if you know being a sensitive person, it, it really is overwhelming to to just like how can I write back that make you know doesn't make me sound stupid or dismissive <laughs> of everything you just wrote, and it's so <laughs> uh, it's you know those types of thoughts going through my head, which just make it makes it even worse. <laughs> Uh, you said you were on the show The Doctors in 2015, so that's that was a six-year span between your book and finding a professional that seemed to actually started helping you. So yep. those six years, you were still pretty... Still advocating. I was doing news interviews. I even had like a Japanese reenactment done of my life story. Amazing. Oh, yeah, that was... That was something. So I got contacted by so many different outlets before I got contacted by the doctors. And I had been working on the documentary Scars of Shame, which was released in also released in 2015. Um, it was recorded. It was recorded a year and two years before I became physically disabled. But um, yeah, so during that time, like I just decided to live how I was going to live. I tried um, a medication in 2011, or it's a diet dietary supplement called NAC and acetylcysteine. Obviously, oh, gosh, I don't know if I pronounce. Yeah, so <laughs> NAC. <laughs> um, but it's been it's had a lot of studies done, especially by the top researcher, Dr. John E. Grant, for skin picking and trichotillomania. Um, and so I tried a, a bit of that. I had some short-term success, but I ended up coming off and it gave me a kidney stone because I didn't take enough vitamin C. I didn't take vitamin C supplements like I was supposed to with it. But really, I would like max out the dosage and then it would stop. It, it worked a bit, not a lot. But I mean, it worked enough that it was great, but not enough for the side effects of it and the cost of it at the time. So I just I was like, you know, this isn't a long-term solution to just keep taking this you know, dietary and supplement. I don't know what the long-term consequences of taking it at this high of a dose even would be. So it's more than just anxiety. Like it's not just let's, let's help her with anxiety and give her tools and then that'll stop the picking. There's actually more to it than that because it's obsessive compulsive. Is it mm -hmm. a little obsessive compulsive too? Yes. So in the DSM-5 BFRBs, it's not called BFRBs like officially, but they're all categorized under the obsessive compulsive and related disorders category. Um, so in the DSM-5, which was released in May of 2013, that was the first time skin picking was mentioned. It had been mentioned in the DSM-4 as a possible symptom of an impulsive or an impulse control disorder, hmm. but trichotillomania was in the DSM-4. So we, there's a lot of studies that need to be done. I mean, it's been nine years, but to catch up with all the studies and being able to get volunteers for research, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot more that needs to be done in order to figure things out about this disorder. But CBT, the, the therapy I got was a combination of CBT and ACT, which 
which is cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance commitment therapy. And it was 12 weeks. So in our therapy, instead of talking about like my childhood and everything, we went straight to dealing with the compulsions itself. Like, doesn't matter where you come from, like we're dealing with this. It's not about what happened that could have triggered you in your childhood. It's dealing with the actual behavior. And as I dealt with the behavior, there were things that came up for me. Like I was thinking more about my dad and, and his, and the, the effect uh, his brain injury had on me and things like how unfair was that, that he, he is still and has been disabled for like 25 years. Um, and some of, some of these things too, like my dad's brain injury, like I haven't talked about that in like so long. So even like talking about it again, is just like, you know, like, wow, it happened instead of just, you know, I see my dad when, when I go to my parents' house and stuff and he doesn't talk a lot. He sits in a chair and watches TV, but it, you know, it's still just talking about it is, is difficult because it's probably one wound that I don't think will ever really get healed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If uh, are you, do you have like scabs on your skin now, or are you pretty uh, much have so much? You've been through so much treatment stuff that it's not, it doesn't get to that point anymore. Oh, it, it totally does. Like, um, I actually got COVID back in April, and my face picking was worse than it has been in the last seven years since I was in recovery because I have had so many circumstances, like still trying to recover from my hip surgery, taking care of a two-year-old, mm. not be, which meant not getting outside help. And me and my husband were both hit hard by COVID. I had a migraine for nine days on top of my hip issue and then being locked in the house with a two-year-old. And it, so the stress levels were certainly challenged that. But I, th- I think getting treatment for um, excoriation disorders, like getting treatment for any other mental health condition. It's more of a management. Like it, it, you can go into a state of recovery and then slowly kind of trickle out. And like, I know from times where I've experienced depression and then have been out of it and then trickle a little bit back into it, it kind of feels like the same thing. So, I mean, I, I guess to describe it better is that the compulsion part of my of my disorder is mostly managed, but I'm still, I still have the obsessions. Like if I look and go go to the mirror and look, I, I just like, okay, well, what do my eyebrows look like? That's a, that's like a really big trigger for me. Like I've, my eyebrows, I've, they're completely scarred. Like it looks so textured when I put makeup on. I don't, I don't wear makeup much anymore. I just, just for fancy events like this. (laughs) (laughs) Same here. <laughs> yeah, you look darling. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's definitely like scarring. I have scars. They're mostly hypopigmented at this point. Um, actually, I I love as much as some like doctors and healthcare professionals. Like I've gotten more discrimination than, from them than the average person. Like the more time, like I've been looked at, like I've been, like, I'm really disgusting, like even just for the white marks. And I love them because I never thought they were going to be there. I thought they were always going to be red, ripped and open. So I, I, I don't want any sort of like scar revision or anything. I'm good with having all these white dots, even if it means looking different. Sadly, it means you know, still being looked at kind of gross or whatever by, by some, some pretty arrogant people, but you know, it's more of a reflection on them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, I can't remember if I, like, I Googled you, and I can't remember if it was online or if it was part of our initial email that you sent. But, yeah, I mean, you you had scabs, like, every inch to two inches all over your face and all over your chest. And so, I mean, yeah, and, and I mean, scabs that were half inch big to an inch big. And so um, it's it's nice. And they got they got regularly infected. I, I would need to go to the doctor to get just regular antibiotics of just normal infections, staph infections. Luckily, nothing that got out of control other than what happened with my chin. But yeah, like I was covered. It was mostly my legs. Like I'm going to be posting something during BFRB Awareness Week, October 1st to 7th. It, and it's going to be a picture from 2007 where my leg is just, legs are sleeved with compulsive skin picking and that was the mm. year that I was at my worst like eight hours a night but now not that I it's hard to di- raise but woo, I mean, woo. these are my legs now and it's, <laughs> yeah it's been like that for seven years so I'm you know I I love I can wear shorts again I can wear you know and it's not to say people who don't have clear legs can't but yeah I certainly feel more comfortable being able to even if people are more rude versus Versus if they were rude before, I don't know if it's still like an element of shame that I held just because it was be- something that I couldn't stop. But now I have more power and it's something that I stopped. And it's like, you're making fun of my scat or my scars. Like you have no idea what these look like before yeah. <laughs> type deal. So right. I'm, I'm more proud of them and just like, you know, cause I never expected it would happen. Uh, the, the, the awareness week, is there, what, what else happens in, like explain the the awareness week october 1st to 7th like what so bfrb awareness <laughs> week is is just about you know there's awareness weeks for everything or awareness days for everything and so bfrb awareness week is a way to raise awareness for body focused repetitive behaviors what they are the including the whole list of them which you can find at my website skinpickingsupport.com there are nonprofit organizations that that often, I'm pretty sure they are, they're all going to do BFRB week events. Um, and that would be the TLC Foundation for BFRBs, the Canadian BFRB Support Network based in Toronto, and the Picking Me Foundation, which is more skin picking based than BFRB based. Um, but I also have some BFRB week events available at Skin Picking Support. Um, I'm going to be having an, I run the group meetings for skin picking support, um, once a month and on a Saturday, one Saturday a month, say, yeah. So the one that we're having on October 1st is going to be smashing stigma. And uh, there's also some writing opportunities, some blog opportunities about BFRB awareness that people can get involved with if they want to check out the skin picking support Instagram for more information. And one of the writing assignments is what does BFRB week mean to you? And I'm really excited to hear what people's responses are because there's been a lot of advocates over the years with various BFRBs raising awareness, being featured in magazines, on television. I love being able to see everybody else doing the work that that I've been doing too and it, it's really amazing to to see everybody come together during BFRB week again to just kind of just scream it out to the world I guess 
us that that we exist and here's the struggles and you know we need your help we need your 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 awareness because i mean loved ones struggle with it they don't know how to react to it a lot of the times whether it's the parent of someone who has a bfrb or maybe a grandparent like even teachers i mean pretty much everyone needs to know about this and be able to find ways to accommodate to uh, an individual's needs who has this disorder and to, or to at least understand what they're going through and know know what their boundaries are related to the disorder. And we're going to air this episode during that week too to, to help that out. So um, so that'll be good, I guess. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Oh, no, my pleasure. Uh, so when did this awareness week start because you you were saying in 2009 there was only the trichomechamania i can i can't say the <laughs> learning center i can't give an exact year but i think it's because i mean you got to think too of like when when um social media really kind of brought all these different awareness weeks campaigns and stuff to life i keep thinking it may have been around like 2012 or 2013 that tlc was doing it um C- CBSN, I think they they launched in 2013, but I don't think they waited a few years. I think before doing some, and now so now there's just a whole bunch of people doing, it. and there's others like other grassroots organizations as well working on BFRB week events. So I'm I'm actually I don't know what anyone else has planned. So I'm excited to see if I happen to be the only one who has something planned. Then, <laughs> So be it. Then I guess a lot. Yeah. Then I guess everyone's going to have to go to skinpickingsupport.com and check us out on Instagram or join our support group on Facebook. So you're a bit of a pioneer in this uh, advocacy role. If uh, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff out there when you started writing a book about it. So you should be proud of that, if nothing else. That, that term's very strong, but I. Well, so th- thank you. Um, it's not the first time I've heard it, but like when I hear things like that, it's like I live these two different lives. I live the life of someone who's like, you know, not probably lower class, someone who grew up lower class, who has scars on her face. She goes to the doctor, gets ignored, gets treated like crap. That's me here in Nova Scotia. But then there's people who think differently of me in other areas based on what they've learned about my life and my story and advocacy. And it's like completely two different parallels. Like I go to, well, the last time I was able to go to a TLC conference, the way people like talk to me and stuff, like there's so much respect. There's so much admiration. (laughs) And it's like here in Nova Scotia. (laughs) And they knew. So, (laughs) so it's, it's, it's really, difficult like when I just because I feel like you know my everyday life is is here as I am as a person as a mom as a as a wife as someone who's struggling with chronic pain and trying to rehabilitate from that and then of course trying to still manage my own urges along with other mental health kind of related issues as well like depression anxiety some issues related to that and definitely trauma um mentioned real quick and anything you want to plug your book, your your uh, documentary, and any social media you want. So I have a book 
called Forever Marked, a Dermatillomania Diary that I released in 2009. And the documentary Scars of Shame was released in 2015, which was the same year that I appeared on The Doctors, the American talk show. And I ended up getting treatment from Karen Pickett in a 12-week program of CBT and ACT grateful for the help that I was able to receive. And I continue my advocacy through skin picking support. And the website is www.skinpickingsupport.com. And I run a support group on Facebook called Skin Picking Support. And we have monthly peer-led meetings and they're led by me. And definitely if you want to use the hashtag BFRB week during... October 1st to 7th, that would be really amazing to help raise awareness with the community. Thank you so much, Angela. I very much appreciate all the information and you telling your story and, uh, you know, reaching out and helping others. It's it's awesome. That's exactly what uh, this whole podcast is for. So thank you again. I very much appreciate it. Once again, if you're in Melfort, Saskatchewan, October 13th, I believe that's a Thursday, you can come see me. Uh, I'll be on a, a panel and I'll be doing some speaking for the youths of Melfort and area. It's a mental health symposium and you can check that out at youthmatter.ca slash events. I'm not sure if it's all sold out yet or not, but you can just, just check it out. Uh, another thing at that same website at youthmatter.ca every Tuesday night there is a youth mental health talk they have special guests and you can go online and log into that and have the youths of your family or friends to listen to that and get some good information on mental health don't forget to tune in next week where I'll be talking to Donna she's the mother of Gia who was on the television show The Bachelor who took her own life and suffered from PMDD. I thank you so much for listening, and I want you to not forget to make your beds and take your meds. Bye. Bye.